don't get to have an experience in this lifetime of knowing deep love without knowing deep sorrow because they're two sides of the same coin. Mm -hmm. And so to hold ourselves back from love would be, I think, a waste of our lives, but also to not understand that sorrow will be a part of what what comes, especially if the love is so big and that it's normal would also potentially shut us down in areas and maybe keep us stuck in that sorrow. And so that's one of the reasons why I'm so motivated to talk about this because behind the, the, the intention here is for people to ultimately feel whole, you know, and learn how to self-soothe and tend to their hearts when they're suffering um, because that will happen. Girl, you've got questions. Questions about your body and how to feel good in it, about your hormones and how to keep them in check. Questions about your sex life and your whole health. Can you imagine having a best girlfriend who was also a triple board certified OBGYN? A girlfriend doctor you could call and ask or tell her anything. Someone who could show you how to live any stage of life before, during, or after menopause in a big, bold, and beautiful way. Well, friends, I'm your girlfriend doctor. I believe you are meant to flourish and shine, to embrace life and awaken to all its possibilities. Let's get there together. Welcome to our show. Well, hello and welcome back to the Girlfriend Doctor Show. I am, we are full on in the midst of fall and in the holiday seasons quickly approaching. And this is a time where grief can overcome us in certain many ways. There can be grief of the celebrations getting together of times past, the empty seats at our tables. And this is an important area that I really want to discuss during this time and talking about emotions. And I have as a guest today on the Girlfriend Doctor show, Chris Carr, and she recently wrote, I'm not a morning person. Chris has been a, you know, gosh, a, a leader in the field of just stepping out and owning your own body, owning your own journey from her dealing with cancer and creating a platform where she's just speaking out authentically. I have the honor to have her on my show today, and I'm thrilled to invite you and welcome you all to meet Chris Carr. Thanks for having me, Dr. Anna. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, I want to talk to you about this book, I'm Not a Morning Person, and the process of grief and grieving. It's a big deviation from what you've been known for, but always sharing with authenticity. I would love for you to share your story, Chris. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it's funny because I thought, oh, wow, it is a pretty big deviation. But then I was talking about it with a girlfriend recently and she was saying, you know what, actually it's not at all. Because when I wrote my first book and my first film, Crazy Sexy Cancer, that was about my journey and my experience of living with uh, stage four cancer. So I have stage four cancer. It's not curable. I've been living with it for 20 years and I've written and created a lot of resources for people who are going through a similar experience, certainly cancer patients. But then, you know, as my work grew and as more people came to my work, I realized that I wanted to expand to include people who also maybe didn't want to become patients and wanted to learn how to become empowered participants in their health, just like I had been 
showing and sharing, you know, for how cancer patients could do that. And so well, when you think about the origins of what I started and when I started it and why I started it, grief, it was about supporting people in their grief and in transition and in change, just like I had to figure out how to support myself in that as well. So I think maybe with this book, I'm just, I'm shining a light, uh, a laser at this very specific experience of braving loss. And also the subtitle is braving loss, grief, and the big messy emotions that happen when life falls apart. So it's kind of like a what to expect when you're not expecting the rug to be pulled out from under you, which is what every single one of us will face in our lifetime, not only mentally, but physically, and how it also affects us, maybe even spiritually. Um, and yet, like cancer, this is a topic that few people talk about. Yes, that is so true. That is so true. When you write about in the book, you experienced unexpected emotions. You were familiar with grief, but yet this was a different experience. Can you go into that? Yeah, so... It came together really around 2016, 2018, around there is where it was a tipping point for me. And I was approaching my 20 year anniversary of living with stage four cancer. And even though I created a beautiful life that I'm very happy that I get the opportunity to live, there is a lot of residual pain and grief and sadness for aspects of my life that I wasn't able to live as a result of having cancer, especially cancer for that many decades. Mm -hmm. And so there was that that was happening. My father, who is my chosen father, he's not my biological father, but he adopted me, was dying. My business was faltering and we were going through a global pandemic. And so I was like, my publishers wanted me to write another book. And of course, everybody wants to write a a soaring bestseller that's going to inspire the masses. And here I was, you know, basically at rock bottom again, saying the only way I'm going to get through this is actually to experience it. And that's how it started. And to your point, what I wasn't prepared for is when my therapist has a great saying, she says, when the grief train pulls into the station, it brings all the cars not just grief and maybe old griefs that perhaps you thought that you are over or didn't I work that through already, but also all of these other emotions um, that are big that we may not want to feel, that we may even shame ourselves for having that naturally come to the surface when your life is in chaos. And so uh, the book is really an exploration of those feelings and those experiences in order to help each and every one of us, myself included, to navigate through them because they're going to happen. It's like sort of expecting I'd like a rainbow, but hold the rain. It doesn't work like that. That's that's a really good analogy. <laughs> you know, and it's this concept we will all experience grief and we will all experience loss. And what I love about your work, Chris, is that you are opening, like opening that door, opening that window, opening the vessel, because grief is a deep, I mean, like 
deeper than you can imagine. I always tell moms when we deliver their baby, you know, like you will experience a love you never could imagine. Mm-hmm. And the opposite is, is very true. You'll experience a loss that you can never imagine how that is. And the permission to feel the highs and lows with that mm-hmm. during that time. And sometimes the, you know, bordering on insanity feelings of, of grief and depth of loss. And I think it's a really important thing to allow yourself to feel it and not um, feel that it's abnormal or it needs to be medicated type of grief. And I'd love for you to touch on that in your experience. Uh, yeah, I so appreciate the way you shared that and framed that because I know for myself, when the first grief book was given to me, this is before I decided that I was going to write a book that focuses on grief and these other big emotions, I was like, no way. Mm -mm. I'm not touching that. And it's not only because it's really painful. And from, you know, as a doctor, from an evolutionary biological perspective, I mean, first of all, we're wired to be negative. It actually goes against our grain to be positive. And why? Because our our very DNA is trying to save us and protect us and keep us alive all the time, right? And so when we think about an emotion like grief, it can be so painful can, and so other. And maybe even if you allow yourself to experience it, you feel as though you'll be isolated and lonely. And these are emotions that you can't even share with somebody. Otherwise, you'll be what? Kicked out from the community. So these this happens at the, at the deepest level that is not even in our consciousness. But then when you think about our consciousness and you think about our society, It is very easy to see almost everywhere you look examples of a grief phobic, messy emotions averse culture. And so naturally, because we all want to belong and connect, you know, we shun or we shelve the parts of ourselves that we feel like wouldn't fit in. And the more we shun and shelve the parts of ourselves that we assume wouldn't fit in, Actually, the lonelier and more separate we become, the more isolated, and the more pain we begin to experience. And so, of course, in those times, we, we look for solutions outside of our hearts because we want it to go away. And we oftentimes want quick fixes. And I love how you talked about love because, you know, I've never had a child that was one of the experiences um, I chose not to pursue as a result of living with stage four cancer, but I have had beautiful pets and the, the, the love that I have experienced for my pets and also members of my family, I would never trade and even dear friendships, I would never trade. And I think going back to that metaphor of we want the rainbow without the rain, We don't get to have an experience in this lifetime of knowing deep love without knowing deep sorrow because they're two sides of the same coin. Mm -hmm. And so to hold ourselves back from love would be, I think, a waste of our lives, but also to not understand that sorrow will be a part of what, what comes, especially if the love is so big and that it's normal would also potentially shut us down in areas and maybe keep us stuck in that sorrow. And so that's one of the reasons why I'm so motivated to talk about this, because behind the intention here is for people to ultimately feel whole, you know, and learn how to self-soothe and tend to their hearts when they're suffering, because that will happen. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that it's so well put is the piece of the chapter in your book where you're also talking about your pillars, your pillars for wellness, the five pillars of wellness, to be able to capture on that during the time of suffering, so that you're filling your whole, you know, essentially repairing your holes. Mm. And feeling in that whole process of feeling wholeness again. Mm. And that self care, this piece of self care is huge. You know, it's um, when we talk about grief, and we talk when I saw your title on mourning, and there are many ways that we mourn, mourn the loss of, of certainly people in our lives that we cherish, moving, mourning the loss of a path of motherhood, like you had said. And, and I had a patient this week in my clinic who was just grieving, grieving that she had chosen not to become a mother at the, this point. And there's other ways we become feel that maternal need we reckon once we recognize that need or if we recognize that need that it's a need to be filled it's a hole to be filled and there's there's no shame in that process right Mm -hmm. there's no shame in that process and parents right now who are empty nesters you know mourning the the crazy hectic events of when you have a full house at home i have 30 teenage girl kids coming to my house this weekend and telling you, <laughs> what am I going to do when I'm empty nesting? Right. And then as the, you know, my, I lost my mom, uh, when she was only 67 years old, I lost my father uh, several years ago and I lost my own son and mm-hmm. the grief the I mean, the grief that can come up time and time again, it's often, often I'm like, you know, devastated and grieving in the moment. And yet grateful for the depth of those emotions. Mm. I love, first and foremost, I'm sorry for your losses. And I'm so grateful that you're willing to share them because especially you having such a powerful platform, I really truly believe the more we are honest with each other and willing to say, oh, this is what's behind the mask, Mm -hmm. the closer we get and the more we give ourselves permission to truly be ourselves and not see each other as other. Um, and certainly not see ourselves as other or deficient in some way. You know, there's a a saying that I talk about in the book, and it's a philosophy of Carl Jung. And he says that we circle around the same themes throughout our life. And with each orbit, we pass a new layer of meaning. And from where I stand, the orbit is the mechanism of our healing. So each time I touch grief, I'm learning more. I'm experiencing it in a different way. It may catch my breath as if as if it did the first day that the moment happened. More often, it's softer and different and it takes a different shape and a different form. And as I'm more willing to even just acknowledge the orbit, allow the orbit, accept the orbit, not run from the orbit, reject the orbit, turn on myself, because here I am again, the more I uh, see it almost like, you know, here's the wave and the wave passes and the water recedes. It doesn't go away though. And I think because we live in a society, it's very black and white. And even when you think about the way people talk about cancer patients, there's winners and there's losers, right? And so because it doesn't go away, I think that many of us turn on ourselves as if there's something wrong with us. And so I will never feel the hole in my heart where I specifically, you know, I talk a lot about my dad in this book where 
that hole in my heart that came from losing him. But what I can do and what I've chosen to do is to create new memories and new moments and new joys and new experiences and new adventures around that hole. So both can exist. But if one isn't completely fixed, right? Again, living in a society that feels as though if something's broken, it must be fixed. Thinking that if something has to be fixed is part of, I think, what keeps us stuck. And people have such a hard time sometimes with the word acceptance, which I have to be honest with you, I did too for quite some time. <laughs> yeah, I, I For hear quite you. some time. Because I equated acceptance with giving up, with lowering my standards. And now I see acceptance as like such a central part of my mental health and survivorship. It's basically me standing for me and saying, though this is happening, I will not abandon you. I love that. And though this is happening, I will not abandon you. And that self-realization. So in the midst of it, Chris, like when you have someone dealing or who's in the midst of it now, what, you've got any shortcuts? <laughs> Give me some <laughs> shortcuts through the grief, you know, can we just make this a speedy process? And Gosh. Yeah. Like how can we survive when we don't feel like surviving in the moment? I wish it could be a speedy process. It's sort of like, you know, when you're, if you have an organ that's struggling, can, can you just get rid of the organ? You know, like, ah, my liver's got a bunch of tumors. Dr. Anna, can you just like speed up this process? <laughs> you know? Unfortunately, there isn't a timeline. There isn't a finish line, but there are tools along the way. And so I, I share many in the book, but I can share a couple of now, now and then also say that it's very individual. Our hearts are unique, as unique as our fingerprints or snow, snowflakes, right? No two are the same. But sometimes I, I think that the easiest way to uh, navigate these ruptures, right? The moments when life totally changes is to first and foremost, get support and know it's really hard to do this alone. You know, when I have a medical crisis, what am I going to do? I'm going to get support from my doctor and then I'm going to probably build some sort of wellness team around my doctor because though my oncologist is really talented, he's not who I'm going to go to to help me figure out what the heck I should eat. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And so what what is your support system? It, what is your mental health support system? Is it a therapist? Is it, you know, a true blue who can you put on your team because you're going to need them? And especially as people are going, like, for example, you think about caregivers and caregiver burnout and caregiver fatigue. And oftentimes when you're in the middle of caregiving, there's so much going on. There's so many decisions you have to make. You're also navigating the medical system, which is a broken system. You know, a lot of great people with great intentions, but the system as a whole is really hard for the average patient to navigate through. So you've got all of that on your shoulders. And I think for many of us, especially women, what can happen is you, you, you say, hey, if I even ask for help, that means I have to slow down long enough to tell somebody what to do and what kind of help I need. I might as well just do it myself. I'm sure somebody out there listening is like, oh my gosh, that's me. How many times have maybe you said that, you know, but those are to me, those are signals that like, oh, no, 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 this is, I can't follow that thought. This is actually the time that I have to stop. I have to slow things down so I can set myself up for success because 
you mentioned my five pillars and we can get into them in a bit if you want to, but I think the most important thing for people going through difficult times is to understand how much energy that drains. Mm -hmm. And so setting ourselves up for for success, mentally, physically, spiritually, is 100% about taking care of your energy. Mm -hmm. And so... Some of the, that's some of the basic stuff, getting support. But then of course, here you are in the waves of it. And here you are, you know, feeling overwhelmed and really suffering with it. And these are small things. I'm just going to give you, you know, simple things that can help a little bit, right? But these are not in any way, shape or form going to make it go away. I'd say first and foremost, coming back to your body. So we can't always solve the problems that are happening in our minds with our minds. And oftentimes when we're lost in pain and lost in grief and suffering, we're maybe even having an out-of-body experience. And it's hard for us to change the channel of all the fear and anxiety that we're going through, or maybe even the anticipatory grief. And so when you find yourself in that thought loop or almost like I know with my dogs, like you, they get a hot spot, right? And they're just like licking and licking and licking. It's really like you're just stuck in a place. And the, the, I think even the research suggests this, that first and foremost, anything that can bring you back to the present. So that can be breath work, but also movement, mm-hmm. right? I'm not saying that exercise is going to heal your grief, but I am saying that it helps you change your physical state and dial down the cortisol and all the stress hormones and come back to that present moment awareness, which could mean that you're just going to go for a 10 minute walk, or it could mean that you call up your best friend. You're like, look, I just need to walk. I just need, I need companionship here. I need to just like get in my body and get out. And then again, the breath work is something that we can each and every one of us always come back to. There's a great exercise called box breathing where you inhale for four counts, hold for four counts, exhale for four counts and hold for four counts. And you do that, you know, multiple rounds. And what you'll start to feel is your whole nervous system starting to settle. So these examples that I've just shared with you of getting support, movement, changing your state, coming back to the present through the box breathing or something like that. These are all simple little offerings that ultimately would help you soothe your nervous system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think those are great in the box breathing. I've got to remember to do that more, but to stimulate the par- to stimulate you and move yeah. you into the parasympathetic nervous system so that you do have that relaxation. You're out of the fight, flight, freeze stage, the high adrenaline, the which is depleting. It's truly depleting. So coming into the present moment, Uh, practice that I use was compartmentalizing. I'm going to think Mm -hmm. I'm going to move my grief to this hour and this hour in the heat of it. And then that concept too, of not feeling guilty by not feeling bad, you know, Mm -hmm. like there's that piece too for people. Oh, that's a big one. I mean, I have to share that that's, that's so powerful that you said that because I remember the first time I felt joy after my father passed and I felt very guilty. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of platitudes that can be tossed around during the grieving process. And certainly one of them, well-meaning and honestly somewhat true is, yeah, he would never want you to feel that way, right? Oh, there are a lot of platitudes. There's so many. I have, I have a long list in my uh, 
and my awkward times, awkward people, because we, none of us know how to react, right? We don't know how to, because we haven't, you know, been given these, these tools, but what it comes down to for me is life is worth living. We are here to love. Love is the only thing that never dies. It transforms Mm -hmm. and it takes on all shapes and sizes. It's an energy that I think that's bigger than we can even comprehend with our human minds. And with that in mind, if that's one of the reasons why we're here is to live fully and experience, express and share love, then allowing ourselves to return to joy is part of our medicine. As you said, the parasympathetic nervous system, but also, you know, all of the biological hormones and all of the things that you know so well that happen when we are in joy. Our well-being deserves that. Our physical sovereignty, individual self deserves that. Outside of all of our relationships, we deserve to feel that joy, that peace, that love, while we still have the opportunity to be alive. And so even if we hold that as a North Star or even consider what I'm saying, I think in those moments where we might feel the guilt or the shame or whatever it is that we're feeling, all of which are normal, we can say, I understand. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I love you. And it's okay. As opposed to hooking into that thought and then starting to believe it. Right. We want to be very thoughtful about which thoughts we believe and which ones we don't. Uh, I think being very aware of uh, what is truth, what do we know to be true right now in this moment, and to be able to shift the physiology. You know, this is, I mean, it's such a, it's such a big topic, and there are times when we're in it, and the unsure how to navigate, you're in the middle of a storm, and you have to, you're on a very rocky very rocky terrain or whatever it may be that feels difficult during the time, during the moments. But it's also knowing from uh, my experience is allowing it, allowing mm-hmm. that experience and not shutting it back down, not hiding from it or like medicating or drinking mm-hmm. or whatever that can feel like, okay, I've got to fill this bucket full of ho- holes. That's my spirit. And instead, it's really focusing on, you know, remembering all that love, that love is energy, transmuting energy. And that energy is, you know, ongoing, right? Energy is always here. So that love is energy and energy never dies. And that is a power, that was a powerful realization to me to lean into in times of, of some of the deepest grief mm-hmm. doesn't uh, soothe the physical needs, the loss of the physical contact or, or connection, mm-hmm but it's on that spiritual transmuting into that spiritual connection with the things that we love, focusing on the, the moments we love, not the, as you know, not as much into the moments of pain mm-hmm. with the loss. So redirecting that, because as you mentioned at the beginning of this interview, it's our tendency to be negative and not be positive, to go against the grain, to, you know, allow the experience to transmute and to bring people together mm-hmm. in the situation. So please tell our audience, you know, about a little bit about more about your book and then where they can get it from. Yeah, absolutely. You know, before I do that, can I share one thing? Cause you mentioned the holidays coming up. Yes. 
I want to share a couple of very short, brief things with you because maybe somebody out there wouldn't uh, benefit from this. So, you know, when my dad first passed, I remember the empty chair at the table. You know, we spend all of our family holidays together, everybody's birthday together. And we started to take a little, tiny little beautiful shot glass and we'd make sure that there was a little wine in it for dad and his chair was still there. And at first that caused a lot of tears. And now it's such a part of our life. You know, like when my book came out, my family and I celebrated and we went out to a restaurant and there was the chair and we ordered a little glass of wine for him. And the waiter's like, for who? I'm like, just bring the wine, <laughs> you know? Or for example, we made these beautiful cards. My family and I have a, a tradition where we, we call it the pick of the day. And so we'll send pictures around from our day. And we've been doing this for years and they're not great pictures. Some of them are ridiculous. I love that idea. Mm -hmm. You know, and so I went back and we, I grabbed all the pictures that my dad had sent over the years of the pick of the days with the little sayings that he would say. And we made this beautiful card deck. And so even right before this interview with you, I picked a card, right? So this beautiful picture um, on the water and, and on the back, it says, make it a great day. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I share this because every, each and every one of us can create rituals in our lives and in our holidays and in our gatherings and our family traditions that can still be inclusive of the people that we've lost. And to your point, to lean into the wonderful memories and the funny stories and the, oh my God, he would have been so obnoxious over that thing or whatever it is, we can still go to those places. But when we're locked in grief and we're locked in fear and loss, it's very hard to still live in that celebratory place, even though the person is no longer in physical form. So I just wanted to share a couple of those rituals because at the Love top- it. You mentioned the holidays. My book is everywhere. Books are sold. And it's, of course, talks about grief and loss, but there's a lot of conversation around shame and anger. And again, some of those other big emotions that for me were very surprising, like, whoa, I didn't know that was coming. And whew, what is that all about? And I think the goal of the book is to really help people become more emotionally literate and understand that our emotions are information. And if we understand our emotions, just like if we understand our biology and our organ systems and even just a little bit, like, I don't know what you know, but I know enough to be like, okay, that's probably not so good for me, right? But if we can understand our emotions and think about them as information, then naturally we become a little bit more curious about them and we want to learn how to care for them. And that is the goal, caring for our emotions, caring for ourselves. Yeah, yeah, no, thank you. I think caring for our emotions, honoring them, expressing them and sharing them and 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 whatever they may be. Maybe it would be, you know, I wish I had forgiven him while I he was alive or, or what the situation may be, or I wish we had this conversation. I wish I I wish I I wish it if only, right? Mm -hmm. Like all of those those you know, sentiments that that can come up and just being aware that it's natural and mm -hmm. that you know, that now is as good a time as any to do what you need to do. Beautiful. Yeah. So thank you so much, Chris, for being here on the Girlfriend Doctor Show. I I know there we always get questions and comments and I have such a lovely community that 
dealing with all stages, you know, of course, all stages of life, all stages of grief with life, right? And all stages of joy. And so touching in on this topic at this time of year is really special. Thanks for doing your work and looking forward to sharing it, continuing to share it with others. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Thank you. I think as we enter in the holidays and we are thinking about that empty chair at the table, I, I do love the idea of honoring it to making to make within your celebrations a celebration, a uh, recognition of the ones you've loved their lives past. And maybe it's a candle for me. It's that it's like it is setting a candle. It is setting out a drink. It is remembering to um, include them in grace in our prayer before we eat and and to just keep that a tradition that they may have seeded in you alive for me as a mom and not having my grandmoms ever ever knowing my grandparents and having my daughters having just amanda rarely knowing her grandmother and so trying to keep their spirits alive in my children's life has been a process for me remembering the foods that made a holiday special that they loved or a way they greeted um, greeted people opened their home for for those who didn't have somewhere to go for the holidays too inclusive inclusive and um, paying it forward always that step forward when we come out of our grief, even just long enough to give into the life of someone else, to see someone else, to recognize maybe their grief, their loss, their love, their joy, their uniqueness, specialness, and awesomeness. And you can see that back in yourself. And it's very rewarding part of, of healing. So I'd love to hear your, you know, any emotions that come up during this time or during this conversation, anywhere you need additional support or have questions. And this topic, I told Chris after our interview, I said, it's just hard for me. It's hard for me to go there and gr about grieving. It's hard for me to go there on loss. I think of all I have lost, right? And then with that same, the opposite is all that I have loved, the amount of love that I've had and shared and to really honor that i don't ever want to lose that amidst avoiding the pain of that loss so leaning into love i send all of you great wishes and this busy fall season coming into winter that i am here with you working on every you know every every day working on the next better healthier rendition of me really working on being the best that i can be to show up for the best to be the best for you and i know we're in this together our keto greens community have been working alongside each other so i'd love for you to give us you know please leave a review for the girlfriend doctor show it means a lot those reviews bring us to up the rankings and we can reach more people that way. So I want to thank you for doing that anywhere you listen to this podcast. God bless you until next time.